John and I have very similar journeys. I ran across this guy, as a bunch of us did, probably in the last 12 to 18 months. John has become a, really in Christian circles, folk from evangelical backgrounds have been resonating with John. He uh, is a Pentecostal kid. Did you grow up in the Pentecostal Catholic. church? You grew up Catholic, yes. but you ended up in the, what, Foursquare Church? Uh, Methodist, Baptist, Foursquare, and yeah, now four whatever square. I am now. Now you're triangle. <laughs> yeah, you're... Um, but John and I have very, very similar backgrounds, and what's really neat about John is John brings to the fore for us that what's been happening in a lot of our hearts is not just happening here. A lot of time, you know, you wonder, are we the only ones thinking these things? Are we the only ones doing these things? You get that Elijah spirit of, I'm the only one, and God says, are you kidding me? This is happening everywhere. And as I began to read John, uh, this Pentecostal pastor from North Carolina began to read what he was saying. It was wonderful to know that all over the world, people who are not cross-pollinating are experiencing that same bubbling up of the divine, and the Lord is really saying the same things to lots of us. So he was in town this week for a conference, and when we knew that he was going to be here, we said, we want you to be with us. So Pastor Mel's going to kind of ask him some questions that I think are pertinent to us, and one more time, would you welcome John Pavlovitz? Let him know we want him here. He's, he's desperately trying to make you Pentecostal. That's what, yeah, right. He repeated that like three times. <laughs> it's okay. So I'm interested, how many of you have actually read John's blogs? Yes. Okay, fabulous. So for many of you that haven't, um, it was probably about a year ago for me that Matthew Paul Turner retweeted something you did. And I've paid attention to Matthew because he normally has his eye on really good writers. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, this guy, he has our heart, he has our voice. And I think for so many, the beauty of what you do is you give them um, a voice for them. So many of us can't articulate what it is that we're frustrated with necessarily or what it is that we're wanting to see new, and yet you've given voice to many people. And so I just want to honor you in that, and thank you for that. Thank you. And tell you, just tell us a little bit about where you came from. I read your chapter that you sent over about this new book that you're working on, which is really exciting. But first, I think let's start where you came from. What's your background? Because many of us have been on similar journeys to you, and it would mean a lot to hear that. Sure. I was uh, raised in central New York, um, a pretty traditional Italian Roman Catholic family which meant that I was raised on gluten and guilt, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I knew from a very early age that God was real and that God loved me and God knew me intimately. Um, and I was a pretty traditional kid. I had the rituals and I had religion. I had that as sort of the background noise of my life. Um, but I began to drift from that as I got to be a teenager, as you often do, and really wasn't seeing the the Jesus that I was hearing about in the local church. I wasn't seeing that expression from the local church, and so I drifted a little bit as I entered college. And um, there was a time when I would have considered myself agnostic, atheist. I'd really drifted pretty far. But still, I had this nagging in my heart. I knew that there was this annoying thing and this annoying love of Jesus that I had with me. I just could not escape that. And um, then God gave me a gift, and God gave me Philadelphia. Anyone from Philadelphia here today? All right, my sister. All right. We're going for cheesesteaks. But Philadelphia for me was where my eyes were open because I was going to a, a school for visual and performing arts. 
and I was living right in the heart of Center City, Philadelphia. And so I had grown up with a story about God, which was true, and I grew up with a story um, about people, and many of the stories about people were false. I grew up with stories about what people of color were like, and false stories about what gay people were like, and false stories about what poor people were like. And all my stories got blown up in Philadelphia, and I had no idea I was going to be a pastor then. Um, Some would say I'm still not a pastor now, but I just, God was preparing me for the kind of pastor I would become during that time in Philadelphia. So, so then you ended up working at a church there, or? Yes, I actually, I was uh, sitting in a small Methodist church. We had gotten married at a church, and, uh, and I was sitting in this small Methodist church, and after the service, a woman tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, you know, I've been thinking about you and praying about you, and I think you'd be a really great youth leader. And I said, I know you. You're the current youth leader. <laughs> and she was getting out of there, and I, she had done her time, and I was young, and we were married, and so it was like the perfect thing. And so they said, she said, would you like to hang out with some teenagers in a little basement? And I said, oh, how hard, how hard could that be, right? But that first day, being with five or six students in this kind of moldy church basement, I just, something changed for me. I would have never known. It's like these small things that you do. No one, if someone would have said to me, hey, your life is about to take a 180, I wouldn't have known that, and I just found this love for working with teenagers, and my faith began to grow as I prepared to lead others, and so I started on that road and was a volunteer, and then it was part-time paid, and then I was at the point where I was working full-time as an art director, and there was this tension between this thing that I loved that was such a part of, and I said to my wife, I can't do these two things anymore, and she was brave. She didn't marry a pastor, and she just said, all right, let's go, so we just jumped I left my job and um, went into full-time ministry, and that's been about uh, 18 years now. Okay, so 18 years ago. So you've already been through this sort of agnostic atheist part of your journey, and Mm -hmm. then you find yourself in a church, so not the Catholic church, a Methodist church. And is it still traditionally evangelical, sort of, the the theology of the church? Yeah, it's it's been fairly traditional, um, and for me, there was sort of a a relearning that I was going through because I had really strong teaching that was really kind of embedded in me from my childhood. But so now it was kind of taking all this new stuff and trying to compare it to what I grew up with and kind of synthesize it into a working faith. And that's, I think, what a lot of us have to do, take all these voices and all these ideas and try to figure out, well, what does a working faith for me look like? And so uh, that was the first few years of ministry was that. And I, by the time five years in, six years in, I was the guy. I was the typical, you know, um, big church youth pastor. I was all in, and I loved it, and I, I fit there um, for a while mm-hmm. until did I didn't. <laughs> did you start, were you the troublemaker pastor, like the become the liberal pastor? Well, yeah, but you know, it's funny when I saw some stuff about Grace Point on, on the web, and I thought, Pastor Stan, that guy's causing trouble. I like that guy. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I think I was trying as I grew in this thing and as the churches got bigger to pull or push the community to where I hoped we would be. And, but I knew as a pastor on staff that you can only push so much, you can only say so much, and then you had to pull back. And so there was a tension that was greater and greater as I went down the road of being this kind of more high-profile pastor and yet had this, these questions in me that grew greater. And then that finally came to a decision point for you or for them where? 
Yeah, I had, I had been in uh, ministry for about eight and a half years in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a great experience and just felt like it was time to go. And we, we went to a new church in Raleigh. And, um, you know, I was there for about six months. And I, I felt God calling me to leave. And that came in the voice of my lead pastor saying, you're fired. <laughs> I'd like to say it was in my quiet time, but it was not. It was in a Starbucks in Raleigh. Time. Yes, that was holy ground. But and and it was funny because the pastor there, he, he said to me some words that really damaged me initially. But almost immediately, I knew he was right. He said, "You don't fit here," and I'm letting you go. And I said, in my heart, I know I don't fit here. And then it was a matter of figuring out, well, now who am I? If I'm not a pastor anymore, um, who am I? And for the first week I woke up first Sunday without a church to go to and a group of people to shepherd and it was painful but then I began to just as Pastor Stan was saying I began to breathe I began to realize that now I can be an authentic Christian and I probably hadn't been for so many of those years because I had to be a certain Christian that I was expected to be here Um, so that started a whole new road for me that was about 18 months ago and I called my wife and I said well, good news, I got fired. And she just paused, and, and she ended up telling me later, you know, she said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you because now you are the pastor you were supposed to be. Um, so that's kind of where I've been for the past 18 that's months. That's beautiful. We talk a lot about everything belonging here and that nothing is wasted. And so mm-hmm. surely that moment that was devastating right at first. Yeah. Obviously, we realize now nothing is wasted with that. So then did you start writing? Yeah, I had been writing this blog, and it was sort of an insider thing for families in the church, and um, I was sharing stuff about youth ministry, and it had found a steady audience, um, but, you know, gradually growing, but I was just doing it because I loved it. And, um, you know, then after I was fired, it was, then now I said, you know, I can say exactly what I feel. And the audience came with that. The audience grew as my authenticity grew, I think. And I remember going in to, to write this one blog post, and probably a lot of people here have read it, but I, I showed it to my wife. I said, here, I want you to see this. I usually didn't show her the things that I wrote before I published them. And she read it, and she said, I, I think it's beautiful. I think you should share it. And I realized what I was doing was I was waiting for someone to give me permission. I was worried. And she said, well, there's no one to fire you, so put it out there. And so I did, and that was a, a, a piece called If I Have Gay Children. And then that changed our lives. I mean, it just literally in a few hours, we just found a whole community of people throughout the world who were probably like some of you just saying, um, oh, no. You know, the, the blog exploding, I wasn't a different writer the day before this happened. It was really that people we're connecting with a message from a Christian and a pastor saying, it's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to have a different viewpoint on very fundamental things. And, and really now the community that I've been um, greeted by has just been beautiful. People throughout the world, and I, I guess I really wanted to encourage uh, you folks here because there are, there are millions of people like you who are saying, you know what, I'm not sure about this, and, and that's okay. I'm just going to keep going, and we do it in community. That's what the church is, so that there are no deal breakers. So I've got a whole group of people that I've been introduced to saying, 
I've had these questions my whole life, but I sat in those chairs and I couldn't ask it. I couldn't even ask it at my small group, right? And I, I had it in my small group. I had a wonderful group of people and I debrief at the end of the night saying, I knew I had to stop there because if I didn't stop there, we would not have a small group anymore, you know? So that's, that's in this wide open kind of places where I am. Yeah, the blogging community, it, it has become such a safe haven because like you said, lots of people won't darken the doors of a church anymore because mm. they've asked some of these questions and they've been pushed out or silenced or quieted and all right. of a sudden the blogging world and your blog specifically becomes a safe haven for them, for them to be able to say, me too. Mm. Okay, finally, someone is saying me too and they need that. And then I think a lot of those people are then are finding their way back into churches, physical spaces. Yeah, and, and that's really the, uh, the false impression that people get is that someone like me writes to get people to leave the church. And that's not it. It's to, it's to allow them to be the, as authentic as they can be in the church and to create churches where um, we can ask the, the tough questions and love one another as we go. And so, you know, I have people who tell me, you're my pastor, and they're from all over the world. And I love that, but then it breaks my heart because I know that they are probably in churches or around churches. And so I wish more communities of faith would have the courage to say, you're welcome as you are and with no caveats, with no asterisks. And so um, that's what the blog allows me to do. The blog allows me to uh, set a table that truly is open for everyone. And that's the thing, as I've gotten older and I've gotten more in touch with, with who I believe Jesus was and is, the bigger my table has become. And I think that's what people are hopefully finding at the, in the writing um, and here. And so as you're thinking about what do I write next, are you just keeping like your, the heartbeat on what's happening in the world or what's happening specifically in the church or is it sort of all of the above? You've been called a critic of the church, which we think is a good thing. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I had a unique perspective in that I didn't want to be a pastor growing up. And so I, when I was a pastor, when I became a pastor, I had different eyes. I saw things differently. I didn't grow up in a family of, of really strong evangelicals. And so I, I saw, saw these things in the church that were little red flags. But when you're a part of it, you kind of put them behind you. Or when you, you know, because it's very seductive, the church, when you're a part of it. Um, it's great to have health insurance, right? It's great to have, you know, a, a salary that you can live on. And so you sort of want to protect that. And so you begin making small compromises. So the writing for me comes from, I guess, 20 years of just seeing things and wishing I could speak on them. And now I just do. Um, and it's also just talking to people. It's meeting with people and hearing their stories. And they, those become, I try to speak for them. I try to say, well, if they don't have a voice, let me give them a voice. If I have a platform, let it be not just my platform. It's people who are just walking this out and don't have a place to do it safely or, and with love. Could you name, um, and, and you might not be able to name one thing, but if there's one thing as you're pastoring these people and as you're writing and, and hearing back from them, is there one thing that is a constant um, issue that they, you can see, if they could just get past this, then the whole world opens up to them. Uh, fear. Fear and guilt. Guilt for feeling what you feel or thinking what you think or believing what you believe. I can't tell you how many times people will email me or call me or will have a FaceTime and they'll say, I'm losing this part of my faith and I'm terrified. And really what I try to tell people over and over, and I would share with you today, is that if there's anyone who knows your individual road, it's God, right? And so God knows what you've 
walked through, why you believe what you believe, the, the pain that you've had, the struggles, the, the prayers that you've prayed. And, you know, there have been days in my recent journey where I didn't want to pray. I just lost the ability or the love of praying. And I went to pray and I, sa- I started to pray and I said, I just stopped myself. And I said, God, you know I don't want to pray. You know I don't even know if I believe in this now. So I'm just going to, I'm going to not pray. And I'm going to trust that you are okay with that because you know why I don't want to pray. And I think it's enlarging God enough to realize that his love and his affection for you is beyond what you can comprehend. And so that's the thing I cling to. Um, we put human characteristics on God because that's all we have to do, right? And so we put a jealous God or an angry God, and God's beyond that. God is way better than you're going to treat anyone in this room. And so it's getting past that fear of believing something that you didn't believe before. Because once you get out of that, um, God gets huge. I wonder if it's a similar journey for you um, in writing as it has been for us. We have spent a long time trying to deconstruct um, what many of us believe is a, a faulty view of God and humanity mm. and scripture and all of these things. And so we spent, Stan and I, we would be in these meetings and finally we said, we've got to stop saying we don't believe this. We need to start saying what we do believe and change that and reconstruct things. And I'm wondering if you started out by more critiquing things and if you've now found a blend of, but this is the beauty of what we can all believe into. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, one of the things about the writing and the, and the platform of the, of the blog that I hope is there is that there is a mutual respect for disagreement. But I think once you can say, um, I believe this and that's not gonna change, there's a testimony that you have that can't be argued with. And so once you can just claim that and once you can say, I'm this is authentic as I can be with you right now. This is as honest as I can be. People will tell you, you're not a real Christian if you believe this, or you're doing Christianity wrong. If you do it honestly, you're doing it right. I mean, this is not like studying how to build an Ikea dresser, although that's very difficult. This is about understanding (laughs) the creation of the world and the God who created it. And so have a little um, grace for yourself. You know, give yourself some, have patience with yourself. And so um, when you can get together with people and say, I'm going to try to reflect the character of God to you as best as I know how. And if I get it wrong, I will have done it earnestly. Um, And so it's really just having that mutual respect for people. Um, You know, as you become less and less orthodox, the danger is to look at the people who are still that and think, I've evolved past that or I'm better than that. And so what we talk about at our church is that the most dangerous thing I could ever do is think that I'm any better because of the things that I'm feeling and believing and seeing. And so even the most, I get some terrible hate mail. And you know, I mean, you hear you're going to hell so many times, you go, well, I guess I am. And and you go, I'm not even sure I believe in hell. And if I am going, there's gonna be a lot of really cool people there. But (laughs) but, you know, you, you hear that and there's just so much guilt there, and if you can just come and say, um, God knows my journey, God respect, God's there with me, um, there's just great peace in that. I would think that you have to have a pretty good support system, maybe with your family and, and with friends, yeah. because even in my experience, the few times, if, if like once a month that I repost maybe one of your blogs and get lots of flack for it. Sorry. It's so interesting, though, because the very thing that some people 
hate and despise and it makes them angry and hurtful is the very thing that is the most life-giving thing to this other person. And right. it's been so beautiful for me to learn to hold that tension. But again, that's me once a month maybe having to deal with those things. You're dealing with this daily. And so I, I imagine mm. that support system helps you a lot and just keeping your mind space that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, part of it is, you know, when the LGBT issue became more prominent in my writing, people attacked me. And then I had to remember that even the most vicious attack, the person who's attacking me, in their heart, their motivation is the same as mine. They're trying to be faithful to God as best they can, and that's my motivation. So I have to realize that we're on common ground. So whatever insults or anger I get, I just try to see that their faithfulness is at the root of that. And I think that's part of it. And the other part is um, I can't wear what pe- the labels that people place on me, right? So someone could say, John, this is the most brave, courageous, beautiful thing. And the same person could say, this is heresy and you're going to hell. Well, if I take either of those to my heart, it's going to change the way I do what I do. I just have to accept that there's a little bit of truth in both or I just have to keep going. And so I just every day kind of have a reality check with my wife and my friends and my church and make sure that what I'm writing is honest, that it's not to gain followers, it's not to tick these people off, it's just because this is my heart and I have to share it. It's beautiful. Tell us about your church now. Well, uh, my church, North Raleigh Community Church, is um, an alternative uh, Christian community, as you can imagine. But when I was actually fired from my church... (laughs) I knew it wouldn't be long. The the Holy Spirit is present. North Raleigh Community Church, when I was um, in the process of, well, I didn't know it, of being fired a couple weeks before, the pastor there had kind of talked to me and he said, you know, you're right, you don't fit there, but there is a place where you can fit. And we began talking and I just, um, when the blog blew up, um, I, the news came to do a story on me and they asked me where I was uh, serving. I said, I'm not serving anywhere, but I'm attending a church. And I called the pastor, I said, can I say that I'm attending this church because they're gonna put it in the, in the story. He said, yeah, we're, we're proud of you. We're proud of what you're doing. And I hadn't heard that in a while. And so our, our community is a place where there, there are no deal breakers. You just ask the question and we live it out together. What are the, um, Mel talked a while ago about the tough questions. Uh, I would love in the time that we have left, what are the tough questions? What are the, yeah, you can put your microphone up now. Um, uh, I can, I'm going to leave. No. That's, all I, that's all I wanted. Tough questions. What I, yeah, what are the tough questions? What are the seminal questions that are coming up again and again? Where do you think we are? I mean, most of us, evangelical, Orthodox, Catholic background, mm-hmm. the people who are writing to you, I mean, we have our four or five that we think are the big issues that just repeat over and over again. What do you see? Yeah, well, everyone's, everyone's afraid of hell. I mean, that's, that's it. When you, when you boil it down, that's the question. People, they know how to live well here. They know what they think a, a, a life that reflects Christ looks like, but they've been told so many times that, well, that's not enough until you do this, then it doesn't really matter. And I think so that question of, of salvation, that question of what happens after we die is, is huge. It's always going to be huge. Um, and then really, how, what is tolerating a person's sin? What does that look like? How do I do that? What, is, what does that look like when, uh, when you have something preached from up here and people have to live that out in community when they have really fundamental disagreements? So those questions are just really over and over again. And really people saying, I don't know if I'm a real Christian. 
I, I think Jesus is the only one who could tell me that. I mean, I thought I was a Christian for years, and I was a certain type of Christian. Um, so it's really for you all to just say, this is my journey. This, it, this is authentic faith. This is what it looks like. Um, and to just keep walking. We, we always say, you know, we use the term progressive just because you're always looking for sure. adjectives to explain. The problem with words, uh, they, words indicate, but they also limit. So mm -hmm. I'm always aggravated when you have to put a label on yourself. And for we sure. all want Christian to be sufficient. But when we say progressive, that's not at the opposite end of the spectrum from traditional. Right. And we're not word playing. We really believe the tradition of Christianity is progressive in nature. Mm. So to be progressive, I mean, that's church history. Yep. When have we ever not been progressive listening, putting our ear against, the, against God's chest and listening for the heartbeat of God? I mean, there's, there's just never been any moment in church history when people weren't pushing the limits right. as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, the difference, being able to discern the difference between what's heresy and a break from orthodoxy and is unhealthy and what actually is reshaping the church, whether right. it's the Protestant Reformation, the Anabaptist movement, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, um, it, it really takes time. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember who said it, but these little tributaries break off and they always are labeled her heretical. Yeah. But over time, a lot of times, those little tributaries grow and foment into raging rivers that literally redirect the entire Christian church. Yeah. And it always takes time. When that happens, we always look back in hindsight and apologize posthumously to all the people we called heretics and say, mm -hmm. actually, you were doing great. So we, we found that the, that, the big, that the five major issues that Christians have always been wrestling with are the nature of God, who is God, yeah. who is Jesus, who are we? What is humanity? Right. What is the nature of salvation? And then what is the role of Scripture? Mm -hmm. Scripture, salvation, humanity, Jesus, and right. God. Does that resonate with you? It, it does. And, and, and talking about Scripture is such a, a difficult thing because most of us have these deeply embedded ideas about what Scripture is and what it isn't. And, you know, I, I can remember walking on the beach and I was thinking about the ocean. I was thinking about how just how overwhelming it is, and I can't describe it. And I, I thought about God as the ocean. You know, even Scripture are, are just the words we're trying to do, get to capture this God who is beyond our understanding. And so um, Scripture is one of those places where more and more I try to have uh, a real genuine affection for people and understand that this is dear to them right. or that they have very, very uh, adverse reactions because of the way Scripture has been used against them. So uh, it's, it's a really difficult thing to navigate because for some people, that is God. That, that you know, th this is God. And all, even in America, we've, we've come to worship this beyond God at times. Um, so that's a difficult thing to navigate for us. We, um, we've ended up never losing our passion for Scripture. There's a bit, as you're deconstructing, there's a bit of a... Um, an estrangement mm. in the beginning. You kind of end up in this nothingness. Yes. And we've really tried to help people just be at peace in the nothingness. What mm. you said a while ago about not praying, just be at peace there. Yeah. But eventually it does begin to reconstruct. And I love Scripture now more than I've ever loved mm -hmm. Scripture. Yeah. I, I think in the first 200 years of the liberal Christian movement post-enlightenment, we really made a mistake in jettisoning Scripture. We didn't know how to reconcile it to all these new lenses and critical ideas we have. The longer we go, the more we realize 
all of these things are embedded. We, we always say scripture is a time release capsule that unfolds its spiritual medicine mm -hmm. as the body has the capacity to metabolize it. Right. And that's the nature of the church. Yeah. What are you writing most about? Don't say LGBT, we're kind of bored on that one right now. No, I, I got you. <laughs> Even our gay people are yawning on that's that right, one. So that's come right. up with something new. Yeah. He means for us, yeah. not for your writing. No, rec, that's right? okay. That's We're not okay. bored with your no, no, no. writing on you it. No, you know what? It, it's really all about, um, about permission. It's about permission to ask the questions. It's, it's permission to feel what you feel about God. It's, it's permission to even say, I can't interface with the church right now. I, I, I need to find another way to, to, to make this pathway through. So I'm really just trying to walk people through really difficult spots in their faith journey when they don't feel like they have anyone else. So that's, that's kind of the gift I've been given to, to be present in people's lives and say, I'm with you and it's okay. And if you need to call someone a pastor, I'm honored that you would. Um, so I'm just processing in real time what I'm going through. Permission. Yeah. Um, last one, then your turn. Uh, as a prophet, you know, stirring and provoking the comfortable, uh, you do that. But as a prophet, um, prognosticating maybe, which maybe you don't feel that role, where's Grace Point fit in this? Or how many churches are there that are going through the experience, which for us has been very painful yeah. and very exciting. And those two emotions have been in conflict in us. There's been lots of pain. but. We also feel a deep sense of peace. Are there a lot of churches? We get kind of isolated here, and you do get that Elijah sure, feeling of Lord, sure. we're alone. Do you see this happening, and do you see it about to happen? Or Yeah, I mean, you are a little weird. I mean, there's no two ways about it, right? But No, but I think what happened when the blog exploded, it wasn't validation of my writing. It was validation that there are people who would right now, millions of them, who would be here in this room with you if they could be here, and to encourage you that that's happening. And, you know, when I was a pastor in a traditional church, I knew what the party line was, I knew what the comfort level was, and so even if when I had those questions, I couldn't share them. And so there are thousands upon thousands of people in ministry who are ready to move, but they actually feel constricted by the responsibility to the congregation. So I just, I would encourage you that um, you are not alone and you are not odd at all in that way that there are so many people who are saying, yeah, God looks, God is still showing us things every day and um, so yeah this is a this is a no one's doing it quite like this a lot of people are doing it quite like this yet but it's kind of like that's opening and pretty soon that's just going to burst through I think what's your hopeful timeline for the new book uh, I whenever it's done you know um, <laughs> I do a lot of writing and I do pastoral care I mean that's the heart of my ministry is to meet with people on Skype and phone and just you know answer questions so the book is just something that I'll do as I'm as I'm working through life, um, but my priority is really the blogging, just to minister to people as best I can online. And you volunteer at the church, right? Or are you part-time? Yeah, I have like a stipend that, you know, allows me to buy shoes for the kids once in a while. And, you know, as, as you understand, most churches going through this transition, they, they become smaller, but they become smaller and they, they will become larger again. But for the scale, of, you know, I'm never going to be a mega church pastor salary guy. That's okay. Um, so I'm just, I've never been more free as a pastor and never been more, um, you know, enjoying ministry. 
Well, I'm kind of hoping to be free and have the mega church salary. Right. Well, that would be nice. I'm still clinging to the both ends if if I can. I'll send that application if you do get to that place. So this writing, I mean, obviously you're impacting all of us this morning. You're impacting thousands of people online. I want to know specifically how can we support you? Obviously, we're sharing your post and things, but but can we talk about Patreon and how that works? Sure. sure. Uh, You know, Patreon is a a way that you can monthly support um, people who do work that you believe in. And for me, I just started that a couple of years ago, and I've had people from my former churches and new friends from the blog just say, we believe in you to be a pastor to all people wherever you are, and so we're just going to support you. I mean, that, that's a, a wonderful way to do that. And, um, or just invite me to come and, and speak, or uh, it's really just, I don't do this to, to turn a profit. I do this because this is what I feel like I, I'm called to do. But that support, it means so much because it allows me to speak and write without the constraints of a more traditional church that could pay me a salary. Um, so. you can, we can find that on the blog? Yeah, it's on the blog. There's a support button. And, um, but it's, I, I treasure those people. I mean, they are, they are family to me, um, the people who support me, because they allow me to do what I do. It's, it's a tremendous gift. It really is. You sense that, as Phyllis Tickle, our dearly departed, beloved Phyllis Tickle said, that this really is, it's more than a social movement, that it's a move of God's spirit. You see that everywhere? Are you hopeful of that? I think it's undeniable. I mean, I think the people who I meet every day are from all over the world, and they're, and they're deeply faithful and deeply spiritual. It's not that they're jettisoning the church and God, their hunger is great. And so I think um, I'm incredibly hopeful. I mean, every day you, you get, you're always going to get reactionary people who are holding on to something that they feel like they're losing. But so many more people are saying thank you because this is where I am. And uh, I just wish we could take all those people and just put them into one place yeah. and let you see the power of just what we're a part of. We, uh, you remember when we were all in the first stages of leaving just abject black and white fundamentalism, um, there was that little phrase that we all kind of went through, even if we didn't say it, of God or Jesus finding Jesus somehow saved God for us. Mm. You remember we just had this dark picture of God and then we got into the red letters and found out God was more loving in Jesus, so Jesus saved God. In recent years for us, as we press further into Christianity, it feels like for me, God has ended up saving Jesus for me mm. because there was so much about Jesus. Jesus was freighted with so much of, you know, Christianity right. that Jesus became quite a heavy thing for me. And, and ultimately, the deeper that the Spirit took me in, the more um, I really have seen the beauty of Jesus in Scripture. And pastors, last thing I would say, um, and I'd love for you to respond to, is just here in the local church, I, I get at least, I wish I would read one of them. I, I got one just this week from a young, sharp Church of Christ pastor, pulpit minister in Texas. You know, the Church of Christ setting, non-instrumental, uh, uh, wonderful people, but very restrictive in their theology. And this young man's a pulpit minister somewhere in Texas, and he wrote the longest email pouring out his heart saying, me too. Mm. And I can't, and I'm scared. And the reality to me is I I get at least two or three of those every week. And pastors fly in here to meet with me from all over the country or ask me to fly in there to simply sit down away from their congregation 
and look at me and say, me too. Yeah. And what do I do? And where do I find the courage? And then the really kind of troubling thing to me, as I'm inspired by that, is the pastor is saying that, and the congregation is absolutely filled with people who are resonating with that. Yeah. It's not a preponderance or a majority, but it's a large enough number that there's this mutualized, tense misery, mm -hmm. and I think that's eventually going to reach a tipping point and begin to... You see that too? You have a lot of pastors talking to you? Yeah, I had a pastor a couple weeks ago wrote me and said, hey, I'm a, I'm a church plant pastor, we're growing, we're doing a building campaign, and I don't know if I believe any of this anymore, and he's in free fall, and so we talked, and um, you're right, it's the, the people up here are feeling that, the people out here are feeling that, but everyone's saying, I can't share this because it is going to damage the church. Well, this is what the church is, so let's just say it. And, and then there's nothing to be afraid of. And so I think that more pastors, if they can see the example that you set, is just be brave enough to say, this is where I am. If it means people leave, if it means I, I lose the church, I still have to say it.